This call is being recorded. You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, hope everybody's holding up. I'm hearing thoughts of um, stories of snow in Ohio. So <laughs> sorry to hear that, folks. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, this is where we're at here. Appreciate everybody for staying locked in with Locked On Browns. Uh, two weeks away from the NFL draft. We are less than a week away from a uniform reveal. We're going to sit down, talk some ball here today with SI.com, Mr. Pete Smith. Uh, first things first, Pete, we hold up okay, bud? We all right? Uh, yeah, I mean, we are uh, hanging in there. Uh, we haven't lost anyone yet. So, you know, Ohio's done pretty well with this whole thing. So we're we're trying to uh, – See where this thing takes us. It's in, you know, the wildest of rise it is. And, you know, it was even funny yesterday. My kids finished up their uh, their work on the computer and announced that they're on spring break after being home for almost three and a half weeks. So, sure, why not? Let's be on spring break. So now they're home with absolutely nothing to do. So <whistles> buckle up, kids. It's going to be an interesting ride here. Um, uniforms coming here within less than a week. Pete, the Falcons. First things first, the ATL across the chest looks way too much like the mean machine. And what is with the two-tone, what do they call it, a fade jersey? That may be one of the ugliest things I've ever seen in my life. Um, I think, don't the Hawks do the ATL thing too? I mean, they're really leaning hard into that. I know the 76ers have some crap with... Uh, PHI or whatever, yeah. Yeah, like, and that's, you know, it's whatever. Uh, the gradient... That's a really tough sell to me. Uh, you know, I, I hate it on the Jaguar helmet. Um, it looks like there's some like mysterious force slowly working up uh, the Falcons. You know, trying to uh, move them into further oblivion than they have already been the past couple seasons. Uh, <laughs> they've got some like nods to their recent history. Um, but you know, the, the, it's my whole thing with this is, you know, they got really, really ambitious, which is what the Browns did the last time. And ambitious is really, really hard to hit and tends not to do t- terribly well. Uh, and that seems to be the reaction. And I think, um, I think they'll be fine in those, the, the, the more normal one. I, I'm hoping the gradient ones are, are very, uh, rare in terms of how often they see the field the other ones are largely pretty traditional save for the atl part and you know there are certain parts about them that probably look better i know the carolina panthers ripped them and said they looked uh to them like the uh the uniforms from uh adam sandler's remake of uh whatever uh I think the thing, again, ambitious generally hurts you. And I think the other thing that hurt them is the Bucks went first and the Bucks were way better. Well, the Bucks were smart. The Bucks went back to basically what they had and realizing that, you know, whatever they were rocking the last couple of years was just a colossal mistake. Um, but for the Falcons, I mean, it's the easiest of color schemes to make look good. So to have it, you know, come out with issues like that. And the problem is, is the ATL, it's just, too small. I mean, granted, you know, Cleveland across there was too big. The ATL and in, in block lettering, I don't know. It's just, 
it's overkill. Um, and when you have a ridiculously good color scheme, it really seems pretty, pretty damn stupid to uh, screw that up here. Um, I, I wasn't sure how much silly season we were going to get with the way this draft is going in this year here, Pete. But then you get where Daniel Jeremiah says he has some people telling him that Isaiah Wilson could possibly get drafted higher than his teammate, Andrew Thomas. So maybe silly season isn't going to die here. And, you know, obviously in some way, shape or another, it's showed it's, it's reared its ugly head, so to speak. Well, in, in some ways it, it's worse than normal simply because, you know, there's so much less out there. So there's almost the uh, ability to go more insane than, you know, otherwise would happen. But, Look, I, I understand the attraction with Isaiah Wilson. If you're a gap scheme team and you just want to freaking knock the guy in front of you off the ball, you know, that's what that guy does. I mean, he's, you know, 360 pounds and doesn't look it. Uh, he's just simply enormous. He's a bulldozer. Um, but there are a lot of question marks. And if you watch the tape um, of, you know, Georgia's offensive line, you're going to have a difficult time taking your eyes off of Andrew Thomas to even watch Isaiah Wilson. So, you know, to me, Andrew Thomas is the best offensive tackle in the class. Uh, you know, if you're trying to run a pure gap scheme and you just want to knock people down, you know, you're going to love Makai Becton and you're going to love Isaiah Wilson. Um, and all I see with any of these things, whether it's Isaiah Wilson or Jordan Love or some of the other players I've seen mentioned going in the first round, my reaction is love it, love everything about it, sign me up, because that means that somebody I, I would like to see the Browns have a chance at in the second round might actually get there if they need to move up a couple spots or whatever. Um, but, yeah, the more absurd, bad, or players that just don't interest me at all for the Browns in the first round, the better. Uh, well, I mean, you know, with that pick 41, obviously you're hoping for a ton of rollover and talent. So we'll see how that plays out. But, you know, it, and I guess, I guess maybe you're just trying to take anything to, uh, you know, essentially have some people hear you, so to speak, or have, you know, your input read your work read, your tweets read, so to speak, but it does get a little insane here. Um, we do this every year. Mike, Cl Mike Clay from ESPN puts out, uh, if you, nobody knows, Mike Clay is a, uh, Fantasy sports writer over at ESPN and a pretty damn good one here. He does his team statistical predictions every year. Um, we're going to get to those here in a minute. We got offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball. Obviously, not everything is finished just yet, but we'll get to break down those in a little bit here. Uh, Zabo Apparel, small, small time businesses, small family owned businesses. They're going to be the ones that suffer the most here, guys. So if you were looking for gear, you were looking for quality merchandise, I will always recommend. Brian Zabo and his family, S-Z-A-B-O, ZaboApparel.com, on Twitter, on Instagram, at Zabo Apparel. You're looking for a good product coming from a you know, passionate fan, uh, fan uh, family full of fans, Cleveland-wise, sports-wise. Go ahead and check out Zabo Apparel. My first initial reaction, Pete, in looking at this was everything seemed a little low, maybe, um, from uh, Mike, but obviously we'll bring it up here. And... Now, obviously, you know, you need, you know, you got to be somewhat realistic. So he's got nobody playing, uh, you know, 16 games, which is certainly um, first and foremost, in only 14 games. He's got Nick Chubb at, uh, let's see, a total of 290 touches, 
four, 14 and change, 10 touchdowns, but you know, rushing 267 carries, 1,254 yards, nine touchdowns. I just, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I see Kareem Hunt taking a step back with a system that's coming in here that should only elevate his game. My initial reaction to this is, can we trade Kareem Hunt? Um, <laughs> I, with everything that's going on and the potential for, you know, you know either a, a shortened season or whatever, you know, just more and more reasons for me to hope the Tampa Bay Buccaneers come calling. Um, yeah, I mean, everything about this is, is conservative, although we said that last year, and I expect uh, a lot of it was way better, uh, like way more accurate or probably ended up being better than we would have hoped. Um, you get, what is that, 850 yards out of Kareem Hunt. I mean, Nick Chubb's your dude. Um, and, and in this scenario, they've got about 1,500 yards, so that'd be about 25. 400 yards between them, 2350, somewhere in that neighborhood. And, you know, it's hard to argue with that overall number. So, I mean, the the way that's sort of laid out is a little clunky, but at the same time, um, you know, you're looking at what he's got here is 16 touchdowns between them. Sign me up. Uh, and a touchdown for Dontrell Hilliard, for good measure, your boy. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I think. That's probably more what I'm focused on, the, the just the, the 17 total touchdowns from the running back position um, is right about there. I mean, I think, uh, look, if, you, if you're asking me in a normal offseason where the Browns you know, aren't going to potentially get really pinched as, in, as is any other team that has, um, you know, a new head coach and the current situation where you don't know what's going to happen, um, I think the, the Browns offense could be much better coming out of the gate. And by the way, it is snowing now. Uh, I, I have, I, 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 I'm inclined to want to really, uh, sort of hold back on enthusiasm. I just, I think the Browns have a, what could, you know, if they get a good offensive tackle with that first pick. I think they have the makings of just a fantastic offense, but I think the circumstances that could play into the season may hold it back for a year and just not allow it to be where we'd like it to be. And obviously offense takes time anyway, but just further pinching down on the amount of time you're going to have. I mean, OTAs would start, I think would have started this week um, and they don't have mm -hmm. those. That's, you know, that's tough. Uh, that, that just makes it, more difficult now at the same time uh you know i've i've been inclined to to point out how odell beckham's not at otas but i've resisted um but yeah i mean it's just you look at it uh and it's really when i when I, you factor in everything it would be hard for me to say no i wouldn't take what i'm seeing here first thing that just, you know, and something that stands out to me is they had the quarterback position thrown for 25 touchdowns and there's actually 26 receiving touchdowns between the skill players. So, you know, I guess we'll figure out what running backs threw the touchdown pass, so to speak, or unless it was Jarvis or Odell. Now, the other thing here, um, <clears throat> only six touchdowns, but, uh, you know, a piece for Odell and Jarvis, um, less 
less output than what they gave last year. That definitely, you know, raises an eyebrow here. Austin Hooper, 50 for 530 and five TDs, which is kind of in line with what he did. I mean, the stats, uh, you know, for him when they were more elevated were during Atlanta's, you know, not so great years. Um, but you look past Beckham and Landry and you see where you have Ratley, Hodge, Taiwan Taylor. And, you know, to reaffirm the point here, uh, this team is going to have to draft a wide receiver, Pete. There's just no way around it. it whether it's the draft or, you know, free agency, it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. Now, again, I think, look, the numbers he has for David Njoku make me incredibly sad um, because I think Njoku is going to be better than that. But if you if you have – uh, a functioning Njoku, a functioning Hooper, and Beckham and Landry. Obviously, it, it, it puts far less stress to have, you know, a, a wide receiver three that can come in and, and be that guy that comes in on those situations. But at the same time, you know, and, and Jarvis Landry, everything he's saying about his hip um, is positive. Um, you know, he sort of he's sort of a guy that's going to, you know, err on the side of being confident and and, uh, optimistic anyway, Um, as he's pointed out uh, in his uh, his stay-at-home thing with uh, Nate Zagura. He feels like in some ways being forced to stay home has almost helped him uh, in his recovery. But you just don't know if he's going to be ready to go. And, and, and that doesn't mean for September, that could be for July. And, and again, this is assuming that there's practicing going on in July, but if there is, um, and, and Landry's not ready yet, I just don't foresee a scenario where the Browns are just content to roll out Beckham and Damian Ratley or Kaderil Hodge uh, as that second receiver. I, I, I mean, I agree. And, and obviously the receiver class is there. And the Browns keep addressing needs, um, so making it so they don't have to draft some of these other things. Like, you know, they don't have to go get an edge rusher right now if they don't like this class. I don't like this class. There are a few guys, but you know that may be. And since they don't have to do that, they got Adrian Claiborne. They may, you know, use that to take a receiver, and you can get a receiver in you know, late day two, late day three, or early day three, hell, even maybe later than that, they can come in and at least be a role player. And that's obviously really helpful in terms of what it allows you to do from a draft strategy standpoint, but, uh, you know, setting up your offense. So, uh, yeah, they have to find something. It's just a question of what. And there are still some guys out there. Uh, obviously, Shark Higgins still sitting out there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they they, they got to do something. I mean, let's put it this way. Draft-wise, I'd say the bigger need, and everybody wants to keep talking tight end, which I'm not sure if I see, especially because of this class here. The bigger draft need right now is wide receiver over tight end. Tight end, well, it's just, how many tight ends do you feel good about, like, just offhand in this class? Not many. And even the ones that I think I kind of like, they all fit, they fit the, Njoku role they fit the Carlson role if anything you'd want somebody that can do what Austin Hooper can do god forbid you know there's an issue there and then that's where you have the problem I mean people still want to talk about Thad Moss yeah maybe he's a good blocker he's 6'1 250 he's you know he's the ultimate tweener at the tight end position I don't think he fits what the Browns are doing at all um, mm-hmm. so I you know to me I think like 
you're looking at guys like Adam Troutman. You're looking at guys like Albert O. Um, and I think those guys may go earlier just because this class just doesn't have much. Um, and that's the problem. And I think unless something falls absolutely perfectly for you, they're just not going to be in a position to take those. And, and, you know, this may be a situation where you get to like the seventh round and they take, you know, guy you've never heard of from, from Portland state or whatever, you know, some basketball player or something. Um, but I think this is more of a situation where you go the undrafted route for those guys and you try to find a body like that. But, you know, I don't dislike Steven Carlson, for example. And, you know, he, uh, uh, he showed some things last year. He showed some things when he's had opportunities. I'm just not that worried about it. And again, it's a position you always want to try to find something to build upon. But like, if, um, if the Browns were that worried about getting sort of that flex tight end, that, that move guy, they had an exclusive rights uh, option on, on uh, Ricky Seals Jones and they let him go. Uh, and, you know, some of that may be out of respect for the player, but, you, you had your opportunity to get that and keep that guy, and you didn't. They still have Farrell Brown. Uh, I don't know where that's going, but yeah, I just I think I think that's you know, that's why you go get Austin Hoopers because in part, not only is he a good player, you hope uh, that he's worth that contract, but this tight end class is bad, and you're sitting you're sitting there going, well, we got the best one on the board, and we didn't have to draft him. We don't have to wait however many years for him to sort of develop. Uh, Njoku, we're hoping, is sort of right already in that time period where he's ready to sort of break out. Uh, so, yeah, I just don't see them going that route. Receivers far more uh, critical to, to what is problematic for them now. I can't disagree, um, and especially with the state, you know, the injuries, obviously, um, and the surgeries and the rehabs between Odell and Jarvis Landry. Uh, flipping it over to the defensive side here. First things first, just as a team, 40 sacks, love to see that. The only – 13 interceptions seems a little low. Um, it's nice when you can just say uh, you figure Miles Garrett for, I don't know, 13 and a half sacks. Um, you give, uh, you know, with Vernon here, they have him uh, closer to six here. Um, you know, Then the rest of them spared up pretty much everywhere else. Claiborne with four here. Um, but you see the makings of what we've been trying to talk about with this defensive line here. And, you know, how do you make sure you can stop the passing game? Don't let the quarterback throw it. So 40 sacks is a nice, nice number to have for this defensive line and this defensive unit. Absolutely. And uh, let's see. There are three defensive ends. Uh, where are we at? Three, three defensive, defensive tackles. tackles. <laughs> two, def- two linebackers that all have projected more sacks than Chad Thomas, who is a, an astounding point eight. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, part of this is, what they're trying to do uh, with with their linebackers and their defensive line and some of those things, but they've just got a lot of areas that can sort of attack um, and go after the quarterback. And obviously, you know, the way they're trying to build this defense is to get more coverage guys, particularly at safeties, um, as opposed to sort of box defenders. And obviously, uh, the way this defense is going to get put together, again, it's, you know, defense takes a little bit less time an offense to sort of put together, but you, in this particular case, there's very little carryover um, from last year, and you're throwing a lot of new guys in there, and that could be a difficult adjustment. But 
yeah, 40 sacks is great. Uh, Miles Garrett had basically that many sacks in 10 games. Um, you know, the, the, the sky's the limit with him. Adrian Claiborne, is, you know, based on this, is giving you exactly what you're hoping for uh, with, with the four. Um, yeah, it, it, there's a lot to be happy about in terms of what this thing's going to contribute. I, you know, Sheldon Richardson's number's a little low, but, uh, you know, you're hoping you get more out of him. But, yeah, overall, it's just a very uh, good amount of production from your defensive line in a way that you know, that hopefully they're getting the way they didn't get last year. And looking at the ni- uh, linebacker numbers, I, I guess you would figure, you know, Mac with his experience would end, maybe end up being a leading tackler. I mean, you're really hoping, I guess, praying perhaps even. Um, one thing I take away from this, though, is, you know, B.J. Goodson with 70 tackles is going to be on the field probably a lot more than we want him to. Uh, well, that, I mean, this is another one that depends. I think the Browns are going to draft another linebacker. Um, and B.J. Goodson, you know, ideally is a sub-package player that's there for rundowns, goal line, short yardage, that type of stuff. And then anything that even looks like a pass, he's on the sideline. And if, and if they can do that, I think fans will really like B.J. Goodson. If he's constantly being put out there in situations where he's trying to cover – I think he's going to be a pariah in about two weeks, which is really unfortunate. It's just not what he does. Uh, and he's a good special teams player. But this highlights the, the the part of this defense that has to be absolutely terrifying right now, just looking at it. Um, I really like Sione Takitaki, but I don't know what he is as a linebacker other than a guy who's willing to just absolutely scrap uh, forward and take on the run and stuff, Mac Wilson. You know, you're hoping in year two he's a lot better than he was in year one because year one was just an absolute struggle. And those are your three best linebackers. I mean, Tate Davis is on this sheet. This is not what you want. Um, so that is definitely a position that's not done. And I think the Browns would like to still sign somebody um, in this in this in, for this group in addition to drafting somebody. But this is sort of the position that one when you let Joe Schubert go. You know, this is part of it, and this is the shifted focus where if you're looking at what the Browns defense is, where's all the attention being paid? That defensive line, it's that secondary, and the linebackers are sort of, well, we've got some guys, and hopefully we're going to get more production out of them than maybe other people expect. But it's, you know, it's not a huge emphasis. They still have work to do, and that's got to be something they address. Uh, it's not even a question anymore. Um, and it's the pickings got slim real quick here to even get somebody in here. Goodson, at least you were able to get a little bit of veg- veteran presence in here. Yeah. Tay Davis, great special teamer. I don't know you know, how he's going to fit into this defense. Um, you know, good, good enough athlete, look good on special teams. Not sure how I see that working out. Obviously now keep in mind with all of this on the offensive side of the ball, this is construed with, you know, essentially saying Chris Hubbard is your left tackle. So, I mean, we all know that's not going to be the case here. But, Pete, wins, projected wins, 8.2, NFL rank 17th. So if we're doing our new math here, Pete, let's see. Is that enough? It's still not enough to get in. Um, Again, I – look, first and foremost, my whole thing with this season was you can't do worse than you did last year. You just couldn't – you can't. You just cannot be worse than last year. Um, and I don't think that's going to happen. But again, this, it comes down to what is this offseason going to look like? 
you have a brand new head coach, you have a brand new GM, you have a brand new staff, you're adding in a ton of new players. Uh, you've got what could be a really potent offense that's just caught in a really bad situation in terms of just the amount of time you're going to get together and be able to practice and stuff. Seemingly, obviously this remains to be seen, but there's just so many factors that work against a team like the Browns or, you know, a team like the Giants. God, they're going to be bad. Um, or some of these other teams that have new head coaches. I mean, the Panthers are going to be a disaster too. Um, and in some ways it almost, you know, it, it, for those teams, it's almost like you're better off bottoming out and being like, well, I, you just couldn't. I mean, this season, there's just too many factories. To, uh, but for the Browns, it's just like you wanted this season to be sort of a building year and you'd like to see them get in the playoffs and sort of position themselves to be able to be like going into 2021 and be like, yeah, we're ready to go. And, and that could still happen. And they could still make big improvements, but it's just there's so many things working against them that that you know if they go eight and eight, you know there's a part of me that says yeah that could probably be pretty good, and you know it won't be what people want, but at the same time, I think you're going to have to have some level of be, like understanding that this just so much was working against them. They can't do some of the way they can't lose the way that the team did last year, but they have. They, 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 there are just certain things where it will will not be a surprise if they're just they, they aren't ready. This really favors teams that are have feature little changeover, feature the same coaching staffs and stuff like that. Teams like the Baltimore Ravens uh, are really well suited for for what's going to be likely coming this year, and some of these other teams that aren't making massive changes and are, are basically bringing the same thing back. They're just, they're going to have such a huge advantage. Yeah. I mean, uh, if there was ever going to be a, uh, a season that you can describe with, you know, the keep it simple, stupid, uh, you know, keep it simple, stupid, this would probably be one of those. Uh, a couple of questions here for Pete before we start putting a bow on this one here, but folks, you headed out to the store or whatever, make sure you're masked up make sure you're wearing your gloves. Uh, reach out to a neighbor, whether it's an elderly neighbor or maybe you got some one parent stuck at home you know, with kids while the other ones got work because they're essential. Reach out. Try to be good to each other. It's the only way, you know, togetherness is the only way we're all going to get through to the other side of this. Pete, the Yannick Ngakwe. I think there's any legs to it because the only way I see it happening is is probably with pick 10. You look at what the Bears played for, Bears paid for Khalil Mack. I, I just don't see it. I mean, granted, you know, obviously Ngakwe more effective overall pass rusher than Jadavian Clowney, but there's still somebody out there. If you truly want to get something other than Olivier Vernon, you can get it for free. Um, you know, if it's going to be in Gakwe, it's going to be a heavy price tag. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, you're trading for his rights. In addition to signing to a long-term deal. So you're looking at somewhere around probably 17, $18 million a year. Uh, and giving up, you know, some combination of, of a pick or a couple of picks, you know, if it's, if it's some sort of weird swap where they trade down from 10 to 20 and there's some exchange of picks, maybe. It's just really hard to see this um, making any sense because the Browns are just a year away from this type of move. And again, it's all the things I just talked about. It, 
and, and this is a get, big part of why I think Judevian Clowney just doesn't make sense, is, you know, in some ways the, you know, having all these one-year deals and stuff is like brilliant because you, you sort of almost, you know, you have a field, a guy, a, a, a defense you're going to have, and you have the ability to sort of audition these guys, and at the same time they're auditioning you, and you can resign some of these guys. That, you know, it would be great to be able to have a great year out of Andrew Billings and keep him for another year, a great year out of Carl Joseph and extend him for a little while. Uh, but, you know, you have to get that left tackle done. Um, I, I don't think you want to trade to 10 and be like, well, fingers crossed, or then be forced to make a uh, – you know, then be forced into the Trent Williams deal, which is even, you know, again, this 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 situation with uh, the, the, a potentially shortened season or an impacted season or whatever, like that makes Trent Williams less attractive because what are you hoping to get out of him? Like two years, three years, maybe three years? You're hoping, you know, two good years. And if one of those years is already sort of like impacted, it makes it that much less reason to do it. So if this presented itself in 2021, I think the Browns would be very interested. And, and there's a possibility they would already be doing this deal. Uh, but in 2020, where there, there's so much uncertainty, they have to get that left tackle position. They're still trying to evaluate where they are to get a real sense of things. And the salary cap implications of, uh, what I think the Browns want to do, like based on where things are heading, um, the Browns could be uh, could have somewhere in the neighborhood of ninety million dollars in cap space next year. Uh, and obviously, there's some major contract extensions they have to work out. But I think that's where they want this to go. And at that point, potentially with some extra assets, uh, draft assets, they've already got an extra four and an extra five. If they trade down somewhere and, and add something to this, you know, through this draft or whatever, uh, that then they can look at a guy, uh, you know, in this type of situation that is, you know, that Darius Slay type deal or something to that effect, where they can make that big splash and find a team that that wants to get out of a, you know, a really good player like that, and and you can do it that way. I, if the Yannick Ngakwe situation came up next year, I think it would be far, far, far more interesting than it is this year. This year, I just don't think it, it works out. And obviously, this was not really so much reported as it was conjectured by Adam Schefter. Uh, and, and, and I'm not 100% convinced Ngakwe is worth it. Um, he's a very good player. Um, I guess my question would be, would you rather – Trade all of this for Ngakwe, or would you rather take a guy like Alex Highsmith around earlier than you thought he would, who is eerily similar to Yannick Ngakwe? Um, well, even still, when you're putting out these stories, and even when Schefter does it, <clears throat> you've got to have some way to line this up here. And obviously, some of it, you know, agents speak, all that type of stuff. But you want to have some way where it lines up. So, what are you looking for right now? You're looking for teams who actually have the cap number, cap, uh, you know, flexibility to actually make it work. The Browns are one of those. Um, you could get Clowney for free if you wanted to and essentially pay the same money, maybe not get the same return um, as far as, you know, straight sacks and rushing the passer. Um, last one here, Pete. Is it come down to Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas at 10 or trade back? Well, I think that's the, I think that's 
what's going to, you know, that's what they want to do. I think if either of those guys is there, they're going to take him. And if they're not, they're going to try to trade back and then go get Justin or Josh Jones or Ezra Cleveland. Um, I mean, the Browns are, you know, they're not difficult to figure out. They're not, you know, and, and it, I don't think it puts them at some disadvantage that everybody knows they need a left tackle. There are just too many good ones where they can they have options. I, I don't think there's some weird curveball um, that, that that's coming where they're going to take somebody, you know, weird like, you know, Javon Kinlaw or something like that. I, 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 I think the Browns know what they want to do. I think other teams know what they want to do. And I think, you know, in some ways that works for them because, you know, Jacksonville is a wild card at nine. Uh, Carolina is a bit of a wild card at eight. Uh, but I think the fact I'm, that everybody's so- I'm still not sold that everybody just says Arizona's taking an offensive tackle. Their defensive line is, is not, I mean, interior is not good. Not good at all. It's a bunch of role players. So I'm still not sold that they're just, you can sharpie in offensive tackle at eight. I, I agree. They signed DJ Humphreys for fifteen million dollars for a year for three. That's a huge contract. Like it's not. He's making more money than Jack Conklin is uh, at left tackle. Um, I to me, if Isaiah Simmons somehow makes it past the Giants, which would be the ultimate, just awful Gettleman pick. Uh, it just there's so many things that would just be so Gettleman about that. Uh, I, I think Arizona is a real good shot to take Isaiah Simmons. They've got a lot of interesting pieces, parts uh, on that defense that, that that would love to add a guy like Simmons in there. Well, and exactly and, like, you know, because when we talk about this and we talk about Simmons, it's like, well, who's going to do these other things when you're moving him around? Buda Baker is a flexible player. This is the type of player Buda Baker is. You get Isaiah Simmons, you know, these two guys can stand there six yards off the line of scrimmage, and you have no idea what they're going to do until the last possible second until you snap the ball. Right. And obviously, you know, there's, the, you know, it's a little bit of a tough deal in there because you've got the 49ers and, and what they're doing, which is, you know, that ground and pound, but the Seahawks and, you know, they, they, they want to spread you out a little bit more and run around and do some of those things. And that's, sort of where Isaiah Simmons is at home. Uh, you know, that's that's what the Rams have. Uh, they want to spread you out and throw the ball around. And if you believe in Isaiah Simmons that he can do some of these things, it, it makes a lot of sense. So, no, I, I don't think the Cardinals are going to take an offensive tackle. I don't know if they'll take Derek Brown, but I think they are in the market for uh, a defensive player more likely. It's not, you know, it's not out of the – realm of possibility that they'd still take a receiver and, and, and these things. I mean, they could take a right tackle, sure. I mean, I'm, it's it's possible. But uh, if if I think the Browns at 10 sort of are the most honest broker of any of the teams in this draft right now just because, uh, you know, when the Denver Broncos and, and Raiders and some of these other teams know exactly what they're looking at know exactly what they want and and I think that makes them a, a, a uh an attractive trade partner to if they want to go up and get Henry Ruggs, which is where obviously I think that's the prize everybody's trying to go after. So yeah, I, I think I I still maintain, I still believe that the Browns are gonna come out of this draft with either Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas, Josh Jones or Ezra Cleveland in the first round. 
Yeah, and the Josh Jones ones is just going to be interesting, though, because, I mean, the love that you know, the scouts had, all, and obviously they followed Josh Jones around basically the entire college football season last year. Then you're seeing that the front office obviously has done everything they can with every possible, you know, stop along the way to meet with Ezra Cleveland, you know, obviously during, you know, actually during the draft cycle here. So the question would be then is, you know, how much is the front office going to, you know, feed or take off from the scouts? I mean, remember a few years ago when, uh, you know, Mayock and company first got there, you know, two weeks before the draft, what they do? Told all the scouts, thanks for everything. Good luck in life. See you guys all later. So, I mean, the question is also going to be, is you have a new regime working with scouts that they never hired. Well, Here's the thing. Most of the scouts they didn't hire were there the last time these guys. They, uh, <laughs> so, like, this is the one thing, like, having gone down to the senior bowl for, for as long as I have, I see the same dudes there every year in terms of scouts. So uh, that part I'm not so worried about. Obviously, it's a question of trust. How much do you trust these guys? But um, they have a relationship. So – They've done a ton of work on Josh Jones, and, and obviously the Browns are still figuring out their their staffing and stuff during the Senior Bowl, but I expect the scouts were doing further homework on Josh Jones. So I know they – and the other part, I'm not convinced that everybody's sort of working uh, above the level in terms of how they're talking to some of these players. It's just very difficult to track. Uh, but uh, I think – the Browns front office is relatively confident in, in, in trusting their scouts to sort of do that job. So I don't think they're too worried about, you know, the fact that they haven't made any official contact. I think they know what he is or who he is. Um, but, you know, that's certainly a little added, you know, craziness, you know, before the draft in terms of are they going to take somebody that this, that this group hasn't officially met with, obviously that didn't go so well with Justin Gilbert. Uh, so yeah, that's 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 a different deal. I, I you know I, I I really like Josh Jones. I think he's a, a a good player. I don't know if he's a great player, and I don't know if the Browns need a great player at left tackle. But um, they need a left tackle, and he certainly can do that. He, he's played in in a, uh, a a system that does this, and not only does it does it do what the Browns want to do. He did it in terms of that wide zone part more at Houston than say a Tristan Wirfs did at Iowa. Uh, they 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 like to get out in the alley more, and Iowa likes to go up the gut more. So he's got a unique amount of experience. He's got the the most. He started 45 games at left tackle for Houston. He's the oldest, being 22. Um, he obviously played one more year of college. You know he sought out Duke Manyweather for training. Uh, he, he loves Lane Johnson and, and sort of emulated the path he's taken. He's got a very professional mindset in terms of how he's approaching his career. So, you know, whether that's these are questions the Browns have or not remains to be seen. I think they're probably fine with them. And with that, I guess we'll, you know, no more in two weeks here. Obviously, we'll keep it going along here. Uh, if you haven't got a chance to check out the episode with Dane Brugler, please do that. Um, obviously, Pete and I went you know, all in on the Jadavian Clowney talks the other day. That was a good one. So if you haven't gotten to that one, get to that too. Uh, make sure you're checking everything out from Brown's Digest on SI.com. That's where you're going to find all the Pete's work and his team that they're doing over there. Two weeks to go. Still a lot of stuff to come here. At underscore Pete Smith. Make sure you're following the guy over there. The show itself, at Locked On Browns, all lowercase. Always a follow-back account. 
DMs are open. Me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Any questions you guys want, anything you want put in here over the next two weeks, and obviously, you know, we'll uh, we'll go hard in covering, uh, you know, the 2020 draft. Obviously, you know, everybody's still going to be essentially, you know, indoors and uh, hopefully staying safe, staying clean, staying healthy. Uh, until the next time, this has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.